0: to talk to you this one. this is only the second time i preached this message, but i it 's been on my heart all week. If you want a title for the message it 's simply this: The greatest medical breakthrough of all time and I know you know we live in an age where uh, amazing strides have been made in the area of health and medical science over the past years have been just incredible i mean In the area of pain relief, no longer um, do we hear about amputations carried out um, where the anesthetic is a bottle of Jack Daniels and um, and a teeth bite. I remember when I was a kid, 14 years of age, and I had a a rotten tooth, and my father took me over to what I thought was a dentist. It was a local butcher. Serious. He said, don't worry, you're going to get that tooth out. They strapped me to a chair, gave me a pint of milk, and he yanked it out with the pliers. Uh, yeah, so ever since, can you understand why I fear dentists now? I don't, got a bit of a problem. Uh, but thank God, you know, things have improved in every area. Disease control, drugs have been developed to treat diseases that, that once wiped out whole uh, generations. So, um, and I'm thinking about this, this whole Area. I mean, surgery, I mean, I could go on forever. But Christian, believer, listen to me. The greatest medical breakthrough of all time did not emerge from a high-tech lab or the result of years of investigation by highly intelligent people. The greatest medical breakthrough of all time took place 2,000 years ago on a Roman object of torture and death on a rubbish tip outside Jerusalem. In fact, Isaiah put it like this, talking about Jesus. He says this, and we all know the scripture, but I, I want to show you an aspect of healing for the believer that has been so confused So confusing, so misinterpreted, that many believers are missing out on something that Jesus paid for. Surely, and when the Bible talks about surely, it means there's no shadow of doubt here. Surely, Jesus has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him smitten and stricken by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And watch this. And with his stripes, we are healed. And I don't know if you're believing this morning, if some of you have an ongoing disease or illness. or But I believe that God will watch over his word this morning and perform it. It's the knowing of the truth, not just the truth. We can have lots of truth and not know it. And this is an area where we be bombarded with truth and yet it's not been assimilated by faith. But I believe that God, the Bible says, when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. So I don't know whether it's high blood pressure, diabetes, some illness in your blood, something in your body that shouldn't be there. But let's believe right here this morning in Hope Church Lithum, that Jesus will perform a miracle right here and now. Do I have some believers in the house here? Come on, give him a big praise. Now watch, I'm going to kill some sacred cows and barbecue and eat them this morning, okay? Concerning the whole issue of healing. And the reason, one of the biggest hindrances to receiving healing as a free gift from Jesus, paid for, is a misunderstanding of one phrase in the New Testament. It's in 1 Peter chapter 4. And you can read it from verse 12 to 16. I'm not going to read the whole ver- all the verses. Do we have them? Watch this. This is Peter speaking, and there's one verse I want to highlight. Peter says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent, watch now, that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. I'm just going to read those verses. The phrase I want to highlight here is that phrase, entering into his sufferings. Paul the Apostle put it like this. He says, I long to know the power of his resurrection, and here it is again, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, here's the misunderstanding. When people read that verse for years, many people believe they are to accept their sickness, and they don't apply the finished work of Jesus, the stripes for our healing, because they believe, well, I need to accept my sickness. I need to accept my suffering in this area of sickness because they believe enduring sickness is actually entering into Christ's sufferings. They say, well, Christ suffered, so why should I expect God to heal me? But really, uh, to show my humility and my appreciation to God, I should endure this sickness because it's glorifying God. Many people believe that. And it's prevented the power of God flowing into their lives for healing. Christ, watch this, Christ suffered on the cross. This is, this is how people think sometimes. Christ suffered on the cross. So sometimes we have to endure our sickness as he exampled it. Now, it sounds holy. It sounds very humble. And when we read of people like Mother Teresa who actually promoted this doctrine, it's like even more accepted because, well, you see, look, Mother Teresa, um, venerated, um, you know, obviously honored, uh, a beautiful woman, had a great heart for the sick and the suffering, but her doctrine was completely wrong. And this is why sometimes the enemy can keep healing from God's people by even using saintly people in the church. See, Mother Teresa believed that. She believed. Now, she looked after countless sick and suffering people in India. But what many people don't realize is that during the course of her ministry, she received millions and millions of pounds to help the people who were suffering in India. Most of the money was sent to the Vatican. Very little was spent on doctors to help them. Very little was spent on uh, money to improve the condition. And here's why. I'm not saying that she was a bad person, please. What I'm saying is, because she believed that someone suffering with sickness was actually glorifying God, what she did Instead of spending money on medication to get them better, she comforted them while they suffered and died and told them, hey, your suffering is actually glorifying God. Now, I know if I say that in some places, the knives would be out, they'd take me outside and string me up and stone me to death, right? Because it's Mother Teresa. But look, her heart was good, but the doctrine was wrong. Come on, somebody say amen right here. Now watch this, and this is so subtle. The reason for this confusion is because we don't understand there were three aspects to Christ's sufferings. So when the Bible says we are to enter into Christ's sufferings, we've got to find out what those sufferings were, and Jesus experienced three, okay? Let me explain. Are you still alive out there? Are you still with me here? I'm in teaching mode this morning, okay? So this will help you. Okay. First of all, Jesus suffered what I call the offense of the cross. Galatians chapter 5 says this, verse 11. Brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, then why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross is abolished. Paul was saying this. My persecution, the Jews are persecuting me for preaching the gospel, and that's part of my calling. Persecution is part of the Christian suffering. So uh, uh, because of the offense of the cross, because we believe in Jesus, because we speak out against things the world is, is, is for, then, the, in fact, Jesus says, in the world, you will experience persecution. You stand for the cross, you'll be persecuted. So uh, the Bible says that Christ, uh, Christ also suffered persecution because of the offense of the cross. The second aspect of Christ's suffering is this. I call it the stand of the cross. The offense of the cross, persecution. The stand of the cross, watch. The Bible says, because Jesus himself suffered, watch, being tempted. Jesus himself suffered being tempted, tested and tried. He is able to help those being tempted. The parable of the sower, uh, we know the story. Some seed fell on some ground and men, when problems and trials came and hardships came, They fell away because there was no root in them. So facing temptation, facing testing, facing trial is part of our Christian life. And some of you, as the pastor mentioned this morning, you know, some of us may be going through a great season in our lives right now. Some of you may not be going through such a a great time. Trials, temptation, heartbreak betrayal, rejection, the whole deal. And sometimes we don't know why stuff is happening to us, but we are in it and we are going through it. You are experiencing the stand of the cross. In fact, you were entering into a suffering that Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered temptation. He suffered trial. And then he suffered persecution. That's part of the Christian life. But there is a third aspect of Christ's sufferings that's been misunderstood. And I call it, in fact, the Bible calls it the curse of the cross. Now, let me say this, because Jesus suffered both persecution and temptation, listen, as an example for us to follow. So he suffered the stand of the cross and the offense of the cross. And in so doing, he was an example on how we should endure persecution and how we should endure trial and temptation. He was our example in the first two. But concerning the curse of the cross, he wasn't being our example. He was being our substitute. And this is the massive difference. Substitute, when Jesus was hanging on the cross as a curse for us, every sin, every sickness, every foul disease that came into the world because Adam surrendered to the enemy in the Garden of Eden, part of the the curse, all that stuff Jesus took in himself. Every foul cancer, every debilitating disease, Jesus took it. And then he didn't say, now, I took it, so you should take it. No, he said, I'm taking it in your place. I'm suffering this sickness. I'm suffering this disease so that you don't have to. Come on, somebody say amen right here. So when he was hanging on the cross, he was our substitute. The word substitute means this: an action done for another, so that the other person may not have to endure it. Wow. He didn't say we we would escape. The offense of the cross. He didn't say that we would escape the stand of the cross through temptation. But he did say, you don't have to endure the curse of the cross. Man, somebody say amen right here. Galatians 3 verse 13 and 14 says this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. In persecution, he was our example. In temptation and trial, he was our example. In sickness and disease, he was our substitute. Isaiah 53, watch. He took it. He carried it. He was pierced. He was wounded on our behalf. And with his stripes... We are healed. Come on, man. This is the good news of the gospel. And, and that's, why, that's why every time when you break bread next time, man, when you take communion, it's not some, like, traditional thing we've got to do to, because it's church. Something powerful happens when you take the bread And you drink the wine, watch, believing what I've just said. That's why Jesus instituted communion. It wasn't so that we could have some sign of traditional service. He said, the way you access, the way you access what I did on the cross concerning healing is through my body and my blood, symbolically represented In communion. Let me just, you know, is this helping anybody here? Watch this now. When you go home, you want to read Luke chapter 22, verse 19 to 20. It's the Last Supper. It's when Jesus gathered with his disciples. And again, I I want to kill some sacred cows regarding communion here. Because for the first 10 years of my Christian life, I was raised in an, I, I was saved out of a rock band. I didn't know anything about the Bible. And then I, 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 I was in this Pentecostal church for 10 years and blessed them. They were only ministering according to the revelation that they knew. But it was so legalistic and so judgmental, um, they, it robbed me of my personality. In fact, I was happier before I was saved. Come on, somebody say Amen. <laughs> And especially when it came to communion. When the communion service was on, my God, you could hardly breathe. You'd walk in the church like this. Don't make a shh. As if God's nervous. You know what I mean? And there was a holy hush. And, 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 and then they started to teach. Let me tell you something. When you read Luke chapter 22, when Jesus got the disciples together, the first Lord's Supper... There were five things you need to know in the light of what I just said about the curse of the cross, Jesus dying for your sickness. Five things that you need to know, okay, about the Lord's Supper when you break bread. And I didn't know this. I know this now. Number one, breaking bread. Whenever time you break bread, listen, it is a place of thanksgiving and not judgment. And so many Christians get confused here. The Bible says in Luke 22, we got all the disciples together watching. He said this, that he took the bread and he gave thanks. The next time you break bread, it is not a place to be afraid, but to rejoice. And I'm going to say this, but some of you, but say, Ray, I don't take communion because I know yesterday I sinned. I let the emblems pass by me because I sinned last night. So I better get myself right before I take communion. You know what? You're actually disrespecting the Lord's Supper with that attitude. The best place to come when you've sinned is the breaking of bread? Come on, somebody! That's the best place. I remember when I was a young Christian, and there was an elder in the church. John, he'd been there for seven hundred and fifty years. This guy, this guy actually helped Noah to build the ark. I mean, he was amazing, and he was holy. He was very holy. Oh! And every time he got up to, every time he got up to pray, everybody going quiet. Emris. Is about to pray almighty Evervescent, oh god he'd gone forever and everybody's going oh and then one day i watched him and the communion came past and he rejected the communion and everybody thought wow emrys what what an honest man he must have sinned he must have watched Strictly come dancing last <laughs> night on a tv and he's convicted and so he's let the emblem oh no The guy was totally and absolutely ignorant. However, holy he seemed to be. Listen to me. Listen to me. And I want to make this, this leads into, yeah, I'm getting excited now. Are you understanding what I'm saying? When you sin as a Christian, that's the place to come. And you come with thanksgiving, not fear that God's going to judge you. Secondly, right? When you take bread next time, oh, I love this. It's a place of inclusion. Why do we judge each other when we know the worst about each other? Why does it only happen in a church? You know, before I was a Christian, okay, uh, you know, I, 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 I may have upset somebody or I had said something. And then we'd get together, we'd have a pint, get, amen, and it's all done with. What happens in the church? We need, someone doesn't speak, the pastor didn't shake my hand. You need counseling for 10 weeks. What happens to us? And, and this judgmental spirit comes, because when you're in close community with people, you get to know the, the good and the bad and the ugly about them. Well, guess what? You're just the same. We're all plonkers. We're all Wazak's. Come on, somebody, say amen. We're all in need of the grace of God. So Jesus didn't die like this. He died like this. Breaking of bread is a place of inclusion. Why do I say that? Because in Luke chapter 22, watch this, it says, and he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he gave it to the disciples. You say, Ray, what's special about that? Well, Judas was included. I mean, we really don't get the grace of God. Judas was served communion even though Jesus knew his heart was wrong. Come on. You know, some of you may feel like a Judas, but you know what? You're included. Jesus loves you with a love that is totally unconditional. Jesus Jesus wasn't judging Judas, he was showing him grace even though his heart was wrong, at the communion table, watch, the judgment was the result of Judas's own decision, not God's. He didn't discern the grace that was being shown him. That's why it makes sense when the Bible says, and this is my, my third point, if ever there was a pl- better place to allow grace to change your heart, it's when you break bread. Here was Judas already planning to, to uh, betray Jesus, planning. Jesus knew it, and he served him the bread and the wine. Judas, right there, had an opportunity to say, you know, I know how bad I am. He knows how bad I am, and yet he's showing me grace. It's the grace of God that teaches you to say no to ungodliness. He was shown grace, and Judas chose to walk away from it. The third thing you need to know about the breaking of bread in line with what I've just taught is that it's a place of no condemnation. For the believer, there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Jesus says, this bread and this was broken for you. Number four, now this is so important, guys. If you want to receive healing at the communion table, what I'm about to say is so important. And this is where people like Mother Teresa missed it doctrinally. Breaking of bread is a place of son sacrifice, not self-sacrifice. For too long, because we've, because, we've, uh, ele- because we've wanted to feel religious, we got off on the religious exercise. We've thought that breaking of bread was all about the sacrifice we have to make in order to receive. No, breaking of bread is all about son sacrifice, not self-sacrifice. Jesus said to the disciples, so powerful, this is the new covenant between God and his people poured out as a sacrifice for you. Hmm. Not the sacrifice you have to make to receive it. Are you still here? That's why many people have misunderstood when they come to the Lord's table. And I, when I was a young Christian, they would teach this. Well, a man should examine himself. A woman should examine himself before they partake. I got no problem with that. But here's the problem. Whose sacrifice are you examining? So when we come... When we come and we we, we read that verse, let a man examine himself. Watch. This is what we are to examine. When we examine ourselves to take the bread and the wine, we must examine to discern the correct focus of sacrifice. And it's not yours. Jesus says, when you partake of this, listen, do it in remembrance of me. Not remembrance of you. Not remembrance of your sin. Not remembrance of how bad you are. Not remembrance of how unworthy you are. Uh, Watch this. This is powerful. So when you take of the bread and the wine in an unworthy manner, many people have thought that is because if I don't behave well, then I can't partake. No. To partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner means this. If if you think you're unworthy enough to take of the bread and the wine, you're partaking in an unworthy manner. Let that sink in. I'll say it again. If you come to the table and think, I'm too bad, I'm too sinful, I've messed up. If you come to the table and say, Lord, I am unworthy to partake of this, you are actually partaking in an unworthy manner. Because you're saying... Your sacrifice wasn't enough for my sin. Your sacrifice was not enough for my healing. No, I want to tell you something. When we come to the Lord's table, He will heal you, forgive you, and bless you totally, unconditionally. Come on, somebody. Say amen right here. And number five. Wow, I've never preached so short in my life. (laughs) Have you received the word today? Because... When you enter into Christ's sufferings, you enter into the stand of the cross, persecution. You enter into the offense of the cross, trial. But you never, ever enter into the curse of the cross. He died for you so that you could be healed. It's a place of healing. Some of you may say, but Ray, you know, oh man, when I look at my Christian life, you know... It's just a mess, like, I just can't seem to get it right. I go, okay, for like, you know, I, I wake, I, uh, I face the day and I say, Lord, I haven't lost my temper today. I haven't been bitter today. I haven't been jealous about anyone today. I haven't wanted to kill anybody today. But now i got to get out of bed. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Listen, without... We are what we are by the grace of God. Some of you, and I'll finish with this and pray. Some of you are saying that. Look, Ray, I understand all that, but how do I deal with the sense of failure that I'm living with all the time? I failed doing the will of God. I failed. How do I recover from that? Well, remember Peter stepping out of the boat and walking on the water. Oh yeah, we could. Well, we could oh Peter, you've sat, yeah, but. Have you ever tried walking on the water? He was walking on the water in a storm, folks. I've tried it in a bath. I can't even do it in a bath. So he got out of the boat walking. But we know, watch. Peter stepped out of the boat doing the will of God. Jesus has come. So he was doing what Jesus told him. And he failed doing, watch. His faith failed doing the will of God. What did Jesus do? I love this. And some of you are there. You've failed, sinking, doing the will of God. What's God going to do? Judge you? No, the Bible says, immediately Jesus reached out. When your faith fails, grace reaches out. It's not about your faith. It's not about your faithfulness. It's not about your love for him. It's not about your loyalty to him. Because when we are faithless, he remains faithful. He suffered the curse of the cross so that you could be healed. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person in this room this morning. We, we really can't fathom the depth and the height and the length, and the width of your unconditional love for us. It's beyond comprehension. That's why we are to come like children and receive it. There are people believing you for healing here. Lord, with this revelation, now they know the truth. They know the truth. That you died as a curse for us so that we should not carry it. So, in your name, I speak against every disease and every sickness in this house right now. In Jesus' name. Lord, next time we break bread, help us to remember it's a place of healing and not judgment. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.